Welcome to Career Chat, where we discuss career stories to help find a path for you. I'm your host, Andrea LeBaron, and it's my goal to help you find meaningful work. Adam Cannon has spent his professional career as a teacher and an instructional designer, but his passion is actually live theater. Adam first tried theater in high school, but it was many years later before he found his way back to the stage door, this time behind the scenes. Adam has directed multiple plays in the Utah community, including Matilda and Bonnie and Clyde. He also founded a theater company before COVID hit and shares the lessons he learned from that experience. Join me as I talk with Adam about how to audition for a play, what it's like to direct his own kids, and why community theater is so valuable. Let's get started. Welcome, Adam. It is so great to have you on my podcast. I appreciate you being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. To get started, would you introduce everybody yourself to everybody? Tell us a little bit about um, your job, your family, um, what what you would consider your job title. So I, uh, my name is Adam Cannon. Um, I'm a father of of six adult children. Um, I several of them, a couple of them married, no grandkids or anything, just grand dogs at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm a theater theater nerd, I guess. I don't know. I, I haven't been to ever see a Broadway play, but I, I love theater and I love participating in theater in, in the local community. Um, and then I work for a large tech company as a training designer and developer. I really wanted to interview you because I thought it was so interesting. I've just kind of followed you a little bit on social media. And um, first of all, we know each other from way back. We grew up in the same neighborhood. So we, our families know each other. And, but I have not probably spoken to you in 30 years, I bet. (laughs) So it's really fun to reconnect. But um, as I've been following you on social media, I've noticed that you are really involved in theater. And I, wanted to reach out to you because I don't personally know anyone who does theater as a career and then come to find out it's not your career it's really your passion and it's something you spend a lot of your free time on and I thought that was really interesting that you have a day job but you also have this real interest and ability in theater so I wanted to talk a lot about the kind of the interconnectedness of those two things and then um you know, how in broader terms, like how people can feed a passion they have, even if it's not their day job and not, not what their work is all about. So uh, to get us started, tell us like how you kind of found your way into theater, especially if it's not your job. Well, I mean, it, it started back in high school um back at back at good old east high school um i was i was involved in choir in you know with um ann applegate and and things back there and i was doing the various choirs and one of the requirements or at least one of the things they encouraged us to do as part of the choir was to participate in the school musical because they needed ensemble members so they needed people who could sing to sort of fill out the background and my first year of doing that was my sophomore year at the time they were only theoretically doing them every other year so it was going to be sophomore and senior year um turns out they got a new drama teacher and then we did them we did them for three years but so my first year as a sophomore year we did it and um we were in the ensemble but then a friend of mine and I got asked to do what they call a French cross which is just in between scenes they close the curtains because they're moving all the set the scenery behind it and then we were just supposed to walk across and the idea was we were we were drunks coming home from a party. And so we were sort of singing a reprise of a song and, and sort of tipsy and, you know, as, as drunk as two, you know, two Utah boys of, of <laughs> 13 can be, you know. And so we walked across stage and just sort of singing a little bit. And it was just meant to kill a little bit of time and give some interest to the audience. And, uh, you know, and, and we didn't say anything. We just sort of sang and staggered and stumbled across the stage and then went off and then went back. And, and all I remember of that show I remember a couple of the songs, but all I remember, yeah, I don't remember the dialogue. I don't remember anything that we did to sing the songs. I just remember, you know, I don't remember where we stood on stage or anything. All I remember is that little bit. And the next year I was doing the same thing. I was in the cast as just as a chorus, as a member of the choir. And 
we had a guy who was the next year we were doing a show called carousel and it involved some puppets or carnival sorry not carousel carnival it involved some puppets and there were voice actors for each of the puppets and a good friend of mine was playing the voice of this walrus horrible henry and he was he was involved in it and you know and he was there and and i was in the chorus and ensemble and then he came to the director one day and said, my parents are making me drop the show because my grades aren't very good. And so then the director just sort of, you know, this is a couple of weeks into rehearsal. The director basically put out a call right there in rehearsal and said, okay, does anyone want to give this a shot? And I raised my hand and I said, what the heck? I'll try it. You know, it's a voice actor. I don't have to be on stage. I was a little bit timid at that time about being on stage and so he handed me the little booklet. At that time, the scripts that we had for that show were each part had sort of their own little book. And all it had was your lines and a couple of cue lines in front of it. And he handed me that and said, okay, you are a walrus. Figure it out. And I tried, and I tried a few things. I tried a few things. I couldn't figure it out. I went, he, he was getting frustrated and he sent me home and said, okay, go think about this and come back, you know, the next time we have rehearsal, come back with some voices for this walrus and and so I tried some things and tried some things and was home and I was just stressing because I really wanted to make a good impression and you know and I and I had remembered that I had auditioned for the show actually to be in it but then I didn't all I got was the ensemble and so I was really trying to make a good impression and so I came back and we finally settled on a voice after some some frustration um and so he gave me and so I got to be this part where I sat down in the orchestra pit with a microphone and I watched the puppet do stuff and I would be the voice of, of the puppet. And it was just kind of fun for me. And I really enjoyed sort of being that character. The next year I got to play. So the next year I got to play a mute king in Once Upon a Mattress. I got to play King Sextimus, who's sort of the mute king. And so my three shows in high school that I did, I was a drunk a walrus and a, and a mute king so you know I, every actor's three dream roles you know but it, so I just sort of got into it in high school then went to college and did a few things I didn't really wasn't really in the theater program in college at BYU but I was I did some stuff they had a little thing called a mask club which is just a sort of a one act you know you you get together and you and it wasn't really for theater kids it was just for anyone interested and so I would audition and I did a few things and I'd run sound and run lights and things like that and I I was sort of interested in it but I knew I didn't want to make it a career in a field of study I knew there wasn't really good pay behind it and so then I then I went okay you know and I did some stuff and was in some shows there I was even in in one of the sort of the main stage shows that was an original written script and but I just sort of, it was always sort of there in the back of my head that I kind of liked theater. And then after that, I went about my life. I joined the army, got married. We moved around a little bit. And then, and I still liked doing acting, but I knew that at my, at, at six, seven and, you know, 300 plus pounds, there wasn't going to be a ton of roles for a guy my size, <laughs> you know? They just they, they don't like to cast leading la leading men beside you know who dwarf the leading ladies. You know, they, I didn't realize you were six seven. I know you're tall, but I didn't realize yeah. you were six so, seven. So you know there was there's always a, a place for a comedic actor sometimes of that size and, and things like that. And I love those kind of roles. But um, I just really got into the backstage stuff. And then when I was in Grand Junction, which was where my child started doing Bye Bye Birdie, and I found a local theater. I acted in a couple, and then I went to the 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 director, the the owner of the theater, and I said, "Look, I'd like to learn how to be a director. You know, can I just like come and sit by the director's side and sort of learn? You know, can I just I, you don't have to give me any credit or any money or anything. I just sort of want to be like an intern. Yeah, you know, I just want to sit here and learn. And so they." let me do that I we actually moved before I got a chance to get too into that so then when I came out here and I got cast in a show um shortly after the Beauty and the Beast um in uh production I got cast in a Christmas show in Springville and there it was the same thing and there was one I was in It's a Wonderful Life and I was playing Mr. Potter the crotchety old yeah you know, old uh -huh. banker but I went to the director and I said I want to be your helper. I want to be your assistant and, and learn how to do it. And as it turned out, three days before the show opened, he quit. Oh my goodness. The director had a dispute with the producers and just walked off. And so the producers came to rehearsal 
and handed me the keys to the theater and said, you're listed as the assistant director. Take us home. We're going to direct the show for the, you know, you're going to wrap up the next three days. We'll sort of help you and things like that, but you're in charge. And by the way, he was slated to direct the next show, which was Arsenic and Old Lace. Do you want to just do that? And I went, okay, you know, this, I've wanted to be a director. I'd talked to the producers about it. And so I said, great. So a lot of that cast came back and helped me out. So again, I sort of came in through the back door to, to a lot of it. And my love for theater really falls into that directing side of things. I love okay. acting and I, I love doing it, but you know, nowadays it's like, I'm not, I don't have the energy anymore to memorize all those lines to, to put on, to find costumes that fit me as such a rigmarole. And, and it's just like, ugh. and so I just would rather say, let me sit out and sort of be the paintbrush, be the Bob Ross, you know, I'll paint yeah. all the happy little trees and everything and let someone else, you know, get the claps and the applause and whatever. So. Oh, I love that analogy with Bob Ross. So let me, let me just ask at this point, like, did those two experiences where you basically asked to have a mentor show you how directing works, did, were those enough to get you through that first production that you did on your own? Or were you just like drinking from a fire hose the whole well, time? Well, I think... I think the whole time, I mean, I'm sort of a person who who learns by observing anyway. And so mm-hmm. I think every theater experience I had, I was always sort of absorbing, you know, okay, seeing what goes on backstage, you know, the, the experience of helping with my child's production on Bye Bye Birdie and working backstage and sort of the stage manager was like a 12 year old kid. And so I had to try to humble, <laughs> eat, you know, eat humble pie and listen to him, even though I was like, hey, you can do this better. And so I think that's where I... <laughs> That show was where I started to sort of figure out the, the, the inner workings or the behind the scenes stuff of, of how to make it work. And then watching, you know, from that point, I just started paying closer attention to how the directors directed. But a lot of it, I really just, I think I just sort of found I had a talent for. I just sort of picked up the script and I knew that I had to draw a picture on the stage with the actors and, and, the, and the talent that was there. I had, I knew I had to surround myself with good people. And luckily the producers on that for, on, you know, Arsenic and Old Lace isn't a musical. There's no dancing. And so that was a nice sort of start. I knew the story, you know, and luckily the hardest part of that was running auditions and sort of figuring out how to decide who to cast in roles. And and obviously that process has changed a lot over the years for me, but the producers were very good about helping with that and, and helping me sort of choose. They still let me have some say in who I chose, but they said, hey, you might want to consider this factor when you're thinking about this. And, you know, we've got costumes that sort of fit this range or, you know, well, and but a lot of it was I brought a lot of my friends with me from the Wonderful Life show and we just did Arsenic and Old Lace together. Right. And so we sort of learned together and I, you know I know that there's you know I go back and I say gee there's a lot of stuff I could have done differently and you know I'd love to get another shot at that show you know but it, it really showed me more that I had a passion for it and, and, and a talent you know the the I didn't have to do a lot of you know schooling and I see people who are going to school for it and you know things like that and I'm like you know I have people tell me you're just as good as any director I've worked with and I'm like, yeah, but I didn't go to school. I didn't, I don't have the initials after my name and all that, all that stuff. All mine is sort of on the street, you know, yeah, I just, self-taught. I just picked it up on the fly and I, <clears throat> excuse me. And I know what works for me as an actor, <clears throat> what I like to see and what I like to have happen. And so then I just sort of translated that into my directing. So, and you even got to a point where, um, you started your own theater company. I mean, that must've felt like uh, the pinnacle of going from teaching yourself how to do it at the bottom to having enough confidence to start your own company. Tell us how that happened. So that was, that was an interesting thing. It was, it was a point, you know, a, a few years ago, back in, I think, 2018, there was a lull in my theater. I had finished a show and I didn't have anything on the horizon. And then I posted something on Facebook about, I don't know what to do with myself. I've been doing theater in the evening so long that now I have this gap and I was sort of suffering some imposter syndrome about, you know, maybe someone doesn't want to hire me. Maybe I've sort of run my course. And so I had posted something. And so a friend of mine who I had done uh, an older guy who, who owned a theater in Springville or used to own a theater in Springville reached out to me and said, Hey, I can't run a theater anymore. I'm too old. 
but I've talked to this guy down in Spanish Fork who just bought a theater, the, the one of those old you know movie house theaters. It's got a stage, it's got some lighting systems, and he's a sort of a rock and roll guy. He's like runs the the run the music shop next door, but he's really into theater. He just really likes the idea of live production, and so he wants a theater company to come in and be there. And so, so Bill had asked me if I wanted to sort of head this up. And so it wasn't really my idea necessarily to start it. It was just sort of, we, he, he floated this to me and said, you seem like a good, good person to start it. I try, I trust you. And he funded us some, you know, floated us a, a loan of, you know, a couple thousand bucks to sort of get things rolling. And, and I called up some of the people that I trusted in the theater world that I'd worked with in various capacities and said, come in and help out and you're good at marketing and you're good at, you know, sort of, um, you know, this logistical stuff and you're good at, at this and, you know, you can help us with organizational and all this stuff. And so brought these people in and we, we started up a, a company that we did a, a few shows and then COVID hit and we just didn't have enough ground under our feet, so to speak, to really continue it. Um, as things happened, we had one, one of our key people, um, she, met a guy from Australia and then moved to Australia with him. And so we sort of lost one of our key organizational people. Um, we had a couple other people. We had one guy who was just big into the theater world. And so he was starting to get more busy doing productions at the Hale and at the, you know, some of the bigger theaters. And then we just, we had people who were getting, who got sick, who, who, you know, had some medical issues and had to drop. And so lots of sort of a, a confluence of, a, of unfortunate events, you know, just sort of combined to say, okay, well, it's time to sort of cut our losses and, and shut down. And we didn't, I don't think we suffered losses. We, we just sort of amicably said, look, we did a good job of sort of the three or four shows we did. They were well done. We had a good set. We had some, and ironically, I didn't ever end up directing any of the shows. I had sort of told people that I don't want to be that person. I've never been as a director, the one who I never cast myself in a show. And I never, you know, and as a, as a producer or owner of the company, I didn't want to say, yeah, I'm going to do this and we're going to do this show and I'm going to direct it because it just seemed that was too egotistical. And so I well, just sort of... <clears throat> and yeah, that's an interesting point that like if you are the founder or the creator of the company, that's a different role than being the director, right? So that was a yeah. role that you hadn't had before. And, and like you say, didn't, you didn't want to put too much on your plate and, well, and it was, it was also just that, um, you know, I, I didn't want to look like I was coming off as, Hey, I'm the only one who can do this. Part right. of our, part of our founding statement, our mission statement was that we were trying to make theater as accessible for all as possible and, you know, get new people involved. We were trying to focus a lot on original scripts and, and you know sort of local playwrights and things like that or some lesser known stuff that was in the public community or public domain and so we wanted to do some of that kind of stuff and I just thought you know I'll let other people direct and and you know I'll help them I'll guide them along I'll sort of serve as a as a advisor mm -hmm. to them. but it is it is a role that I hadn't done before I don't know that it's a role I would do again I found out I wasn't very good at it mm. um I prefer to have someone else do the, do the, you know, a producer is the money and the, the finagling and the, you know, all that stuff behind it, the, the dealing with the conflicts and things like that. A director is the, you know, is the one who, who puts the art on the stage. Yeah. Closer to the art. A little bit like in sports, the, the general manager versus the coach or the owner versus the coach, you know, it's the, the coach makes the decisions for the on the field stuff. Yeah. And the general manager makes sure that everyone gets paid or the owner makes sure everyone gets paid and that the insurance is there and that there's a venue and the games are scheduled and all that. And that was the part that I didn't enjoy as much. So does that help you see, I'm just trying to think if I were in your position with all of those different things coming together to kind of end up disbanding the company, do you look at that as like, ah, oh, that was kind of a failure or do you say to yourself, uh, even with the way it turned out, I learned, what did I learn from that? And you, you just said, you learned that that's not something, that's not a role that you would want to take on again, but would you be, would you be willing to go into a new production company, uh, in a similar situation? Well, I certainly, there's, I've certainly offered the services and, and sort of advice to new companies starting up, of, you know, here's what I learned. 
here's what I, here's what my vision was for this theater company. And here's what it ended up being. I actually was probably too humble the whole time. I sort of let other people take charge. And so some of it sort of fell apart because I was too nice to a lot of mm -hmm. people. So people were, were just sort of, you know, not everyone was doing their job the way they were supposed to perhaps, or, or as, as strong as they wanted to. And so one of the things I, I learned was, you know, that, that I need to make sure I know who I'm surrounding myself with and make sure that I've got good people and that it, roles were very clearly defined. And because that was the other thing too, was like my role wasn't super clearly defined. I was just, and we sort of had these nebulous, okay, we're all just going to kind of work together to make it happen. And we didn't really define, you know, okay, you're going to do this and you're going to be in charge of hiring our directors and, and whatever. And, and, and so we did some iterations, even in the you know year and a half or so that we were that we were open, that we made some changes to the structure and to the organization things. But I, I did learn some things. Ultimately, it still sort of feels like a failure mm -hmm. because I was really passionate and I was I believed we could make it work if we had the right people and if we hadn't had you know sort of the world shut down for COVID. You know the the we were just sort of starting to get our footing and starting to get an audience. And, you know, the, the difference was, was the guy who owned the theater company or the, the theater venue, he had to still try to stay open. And so he was bringing in companies who were willing to sort of ignore or willing to work with the COVID guidelines at the time we, I, my family and I were very, very sort of strict about, okay, we're going to mask up. We're not going to go out in public. We're not going to go to church. We're going to, you know, and so I didn't want to, I, I told my wife, I said, I would feel sick to my stomach if I put on a production and I found out that someone got COVID from, right. from being there. I said, that would, that would negate any good that could come out of it. And so I just said, I'd rather err on the side of caution and not. And so we did one sort of virtual production of War of the Worlds about, you know, right about two years ago, right at Halloween time, um, where we, we sort of recreated the old time radio show yeah we did it kind of on zoom where we had people could see the actors doing it we didn't have costumes or anything but we had some cool backgrounds that we would sort of flip through and, and we, we sold tickets and people actually came and listened and, and watched it and it, it seemed to go off fairly well we did another one that was like a a competition where it was sort of like a short like we took had people submit and it was sort of a festival of 10 minute shorts and then they would submit and then they would hold their rehearsals over zoom and then they would do it over zoom and so it was a you know learning how to sort of pivot into a virtual environment were some good things but yeah overall there's still a part of me that sees it as a failure but I do see the the learning that came from it yeah and I would I mean that was just such a strange time COVID I mean we're still we're still in it a little bit but um I'm sure that that's a story a lot of small business owners and others who started projects during COVID could also really empathize with you that it, you know, tanked a lot of situations and startups and, but I guess the knowledge you get from that is really valuable as well. Um, so now when you look at getting involved in a project, like what is it that you're looking for? What, and how do you, how do you balance the time that you spend on this sort of passion project that you have with like your regular job um is, are they are they in conflict or do you feel like it it's something you can make work no, it's, easily it's luckily i've worked for a number of companies over the course of my theater hobby career i guess um that have been very keen on work-life balance and i've been in positions where it was you know, it wasn't an hourly position, it was a salaried position. And so there wasn't a punching a time clock. It was, you've got a project, get it done. Right. You know, I don't care. You can come work at seven o'clock in the morning. You can go to, you know, you can stay up till midnight and do it. We don't care when you're here. There will be meetings sort of throughout the day that you might need to attend. So it's been somewhat flexible that way. You know, that's mm -hmm. been a blessing that I've had, but that work-life balance of just being able to sort of you know, sometimes during the day, take a phone call. And I remember at one job I had, I was, I was directing Oklahoma at the time. And I had the guy who was playing Curly um, call me and he wanted to find out about curling his hair, if I really wanted him to be Curly. And so there I was <laughs> in my 
in my little office cubicle thing you know it was it was an office but the the walls were essentially cubicle walls it just had a glass and you know Mm. so it it was an enclosed space but it was not soundproof at all and so i'm having this conversation with another guy on the phone about (laughs) hairstyles hair colors do we want to dye it do we want to curl it and i remember (laughs) walking out and there were like five people just standing there outside my door looking at me going what are you talking about I had to explain that it was, you know, okay. But some, you know, I also have met some people through work who have been in shows with me and, you know, that because I've, and, or people who have come to shows, but, you know, it's been a good sort of marketing tool that way. So, um, so balancing that out is, is it's been a little bit of a juggling act. I've had a very supportive family and the good news is a lot of the family has been involved. I think every one of my kids and my wife have been involved in one show at least. Um, uh, I've got two kids who have been in almost every show or been involved in almost every show I've done. That know, sounds so like that, such a great family project. Well, and it's it's funny because I've got some kids who who aren't into it at all. My oldest boy is not into performing at all, but he's got one of those great those deep bass voices. And so <laughs> we did we did the show Hairspray, and in Hairspray there's a television announcer. Yeah, uh, it's just a voiceover, and so we had him record the TV announcer voice. So he, he appeared in the show, but didn't really, he was never on stage. I don't even think we credited him in the credits. I think we just had his voice there, but it was fun for family members, you know, cousins and whatever who came, they were like, Hey, that's Mike. I heard his voice. You know? <laughs> and I've got some who just do like set building or, or lighting or sound or, you know, moving backstage stuff. And then I've got two, the two who are who are actors who who get on the stage and, and do stuff. So, so is that a weird um, dynamic where like your dad, but you're also a director, are it they is. more likely to listen to you as director or as dad? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, luckily my kids who are in, who are, who are the actors are very, you know, I've got some really good kids anyway. And, you know, there, there are some struggles at home, but they have learned that when we're at the theater that a, I don't play favorites. You know, I'm, I expect them to do the same thing. And in, in fact, in some ways, I expect more of them. You know, I sort of, if somebody's misbehaving, I'm, I'm expecting my kids to be the ones to sort of help shut it down because they know. <laughs> but like the, the biggest, the hardest thing came when I had my, my child was um, starting to, to come up. They had been in ensembles and things and they were starting to get to an age where they could do some big, some big roles. And so we were doing Bye Bye Birdie, ironically enough, you know, 15 years later or 17 years later from when this same child had started as a kid. Oh, how fun. We are doing it. And then, he, and then they wanted to audition for Conrad Birdie, which is the lead, you know, the main right. character. And so I had to, I told the production team, I said, look, I'm going to run auditions like normal, but as I do with every audition, it's not going to be me deciding. It's going to be us deciding. We're going to sit down and we're going to say, okay, give us your top three dancers. Give me your top three singers. And I'll give you my top three actors. And we'll sort of, you know, crunch the numbers, do the math and say, okay, who comes out on top? And I said, and so if Drew ends up on top, that's great, but it's not because I'm his dad. Right. And that was, that was the hardest part for me was then getting the, the, it was harder to get the cast to trust that decision Yeah, to say, okay, Drew was picked because they are the best for the role, not because they're nepotism because of nepotism. You know, I I sort of did the same thing when I coached football for my kid, for my other boys was, you know, look, you're not, you're going to be the quarterback because you win the position, not because you're my kid. Right. And so my kids have sort of grown up learning that, that they've still got an audition for me. And I think that's weird for them. Sometimes there's sort of this weird discomfort of, I don't want to sing in front of, in, in front of dad. I don't want to <laughs> do this stuff. So, so there's some of that that's hard, but they've, they've, they really have grown up sort of being very independent and because they've done theater outside of mine, you know, that they, they do know that experience, but yeah, you know, two years ago I directed, or yeah, two summers ago I directed Matilda, and I was in a wheelchair for most of the time because I'd had some foot surgery, and so my my two kids who were in that show with me would, you know, they would come early with me, and they'd wheel me down, and you know, we'd get me all set up, and then they'd go up on stage and do stuff, and you know, I knew that I could like, we had these little signals, you know, father child signals, a, a little whistle that I do or whatever that they knew they needed to come see me or whatever, and 
And I'd say, Hey, you know, can you go, can you go fill my water bottle or, you know, can you go help with this? And, and so they were, and they were really good about, you know, just wanting to help out. And so it, it's been fun to have them involved and, in, in, you know, the whole family to some degree or other involved in stuff. So coming out of COVID and even out of some, you know, there's been some rough times in our country. And, and you know, I, I think about, uh, you know, there's a show called um, Come From Away that is just a beautiful, beautiful story. That's essentially the story of the 9-11 survivors that landed in, in Canada, in that little tiny town in Canada. Yes, and I've heard great town, things about that. The town took them in and theater tells us these stories and we get to connect with them and learn about them and tells us history and helps us learn about ourselves. And if we just automatically discount every every production of community theater, we're missing a lot of that. If we say, well, I'm not going to go see The Sound of Music over at South Jordan Community Theater because it's not going to be, you know, um, Julie Andrews and, and, you know, the Von Trapp that I'm used to. You're missing out on new interpretations. You're missing out on new fun, fun ways of looking at things. You know, two years ago, I said I did Matilda and, you know, we had our Miss Trunchbull. We had two, we had two different casts, partially because we were coming out of COVID. And so we sort of wanted to make sure we were protected um, if someone went down. But we had one Miss Trunchbull who's sort of the typical burly guy who, you know, who's, who's a big, you know, a big guy. And then we had another one who was somewhat petite lady but her acting was so powerful. And she was like, wait, you're going to make me Miss Trunchbull? That's always a guy's role. And I, I said, doesn't have to be. And she was fantastic. And so people came and were able to say, oh, look, you know, this, a woman can play this role and, and it's fun. And, you know, and so there, you see some things in community theater because they have to adjust and, and, you know, and if you go to one bad community theater production, don't write them all off because, you know, that might've just been, you know, it might've been a bad night. It might have been a company that, you know, not every company is great and not every director is great and not every, you know, not every, you know, act cast is fantastic, but there are lots of fantastic ones out there. And, you know, I think every community theater has some shining stars in it and has some potential big name stars. And so, you know, people are missing out if they, if they don't go, which is, I find it funny because people will go and pack the auditoriums for a high school production or a junior high production that is, you know, Sure, it's quality, but we, we, we say it's quality, but it's okay because they're kids. Yeah. But, you know, give those kids two more years to turn 19 and all of a sudden we don't want to see them anymore and we don't want to go support them. And we, you know, they're our neighbors. are still the same kids that they were two years ago when they did the production of, you know, of My Fair Lady in high school. And now we're doing a production of Hairspray two years later. And you're like, I don't want to go see them because they're not kids anymore. And I don't, you know, I don't want to pack the auditorium. And it's just as ironic to me that, you know, you'll fill 1100 seat auditorium for a high school production. That's sort of subpar, you know, it's not certainly not professional quality in a lot of cases it's high school. And then uh, they won't come, you know, for the, the community theater production that summer. That's just as good, if not better, you know, probably in a lot of cases, much better, but still has even some of those same kids in it. So yeah, I'm, that's... Not, I'm not saying all high school productions are, are bad there. I've seen some fantastic ones, right? I've seen high schools are working hard to put on fantastic productions, but you know, it's just ironic to me that we'll go to, we sort of have a different standard, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I'm really happy to hear that whole, you know, your opinion about community theater. I think that's such an important that's such great information and, and a, such a great way to think about the importance of community theater in our communities. I mean, um, it gives, you know, people uh, an affordable way to see some of these stories on stage and also to support the local community and, and local talent. Um, is there something like, do you have suggestions for people who want to get involved in, you know, local community theater like where to start like what if you've never had any acting experience but you really like think you might like it it could be something fun to do with your family like how do you like what would be the best way to to reach out and prepare I just I just you know I say go for it you know it, the the preparation it's sort of two different questions the first one is just get involved you know mm -hmm. decide hey I, I want to do this I'm going to go audition you know, there's a there's a line in uh, We Bought a Zoo where he says, you know, everybody has 20 seconds of, of insane courage, you know, and it's just sort of about that, about mustering up that 20 seconds of insane courage to say, OK, I'm going to go to auditions. I'm going to go stand in front of this director and it's going to be scary, but 
but I'm going to give it my all. And because I, it's not something that I'm totally invested in, I don't care. You know, it's funny that the ones who don't care seem to be the ones who give the best performances. Yeah. I, one of my two Matildas, that was her first show that she'd ever done. She, she came in and she was, she loved performing. She just sort of loved singing and dancing around the house. And I think she'd done a few little things with school and stuff, but she just said, mom, I'm going to go, I want to go be in Matilda. And she just wanted to be in the show. She just wanted to be in the ensemble. And she came out and she just killed it. And she was so fantastic. She nailed that British accent. And now since then she's done, she went down and did um, Tuacon this summer was in sound of music down there. She's now doing stuff at the hail. And just because she said, I wanted to get involved and, and just did it and just try it the preparation. You know, there's lots of resources for, if someone says, you know, find 16 to 32 bars of a piece of music, find a song, a Broadway song that you like that you can sing while that's in your range. You know, it's sort of the same principle as going to, going to, you know, audition for America's Got Talent or The Voice or, or X Factor, American Idol is you find something that shows your voice well, that shows your range and you practice it until you're, until you feel comfortable. You, you know, I would certainly say if it's a musical practice it till you can sing it without somebody else singing it so that you can hear the piano and say, okay, this is where I need to come in. This is where the rests are. If you're doing it with a musical track, practice it with the musical track, all that stuff. There's, I actually did a couple of years ago for Cottonwood Heights Community Theater. I did sort of a video series where I talked about the audition process and, and you know, how to go, how to go about learning and sort of preparing yourself for an audition. But, you know, I tell people all the time, if you want to get involved, maybe the first thing you do is you do what I did and get involved backstage and see what goes into it. See the level of commitment that it takes. Because that's the most frustrating thing to me as a director is when people sign up to be in a show and then say, oh, I didn't realize that we were going to be rehearsing three or four days a week or it was going to be all this all this time. And so I try to tell people, look, get involved in somehow, understand it. And understand that theater is a lot like sports. You've got practices and a game in sports and in theater, you've got rehearsals and a show. And it's kind of the same. The only difference is that in theater, all your games or your shows are sort of back to back, you know, over a couple of weekends, you know, doing eight shows over a two week period. Whereas in sports, you've got an eight game season. That's kind of one game a week for eight weeks. So, right. so it's intense a little bit, but in theater, you know, you're doing the same thing. You're going to practice every night. And I, I liken it to that because when I did a, I directed a show in Spanish fork and one of my sound guys was fantastic, but he was a high school kid and his sister played softball. And his parents would totally support her softball. You know, they'd travel all over the country, all over the state for her games. And then they would get mad at him if he stayed late at the school for a rehearsal. And I finally had to sit them down and say, look, this is the same. What he's doing and what she's doing are the same. They're just different avenues of, of creativity. She's a softball player. She needs her special equipment. She's going to have long practices. There's going to be some overnights where she might be staying in a hotel because they're on a road trip. Same thing. He's got to do his stuff. He's a fantastic sound guy. He's going to be there. He's going to be there late nights, tweaking the microphones and the speakers and all that. And so, you know, give him, give him that break. And sometimes I think people don't think that. So get involved, be aware of it, go see some shows, see what it takes, you know, and if you think you can do it, believe in yourself and get that 20 seconds of insane courage and get on the stage and, and go do it. I love that. I think that's such great advice. So thinking about like looking back at your experience with having your day job and then having this real passion and interest in theater is there anything you would tell your younger self when you know earlier on in your career um like advice that you would give yourself if you could go back well i think you know the biggest thing i would do is some of what i just said is don't wait you know mm. i i sort of I did a, did some shows at BYU and then I sort of got unsure of myself and thought, oh, I'm not that great, you know, or, and I sort of started second guessing myself. And so I, I wish that I had been able to do more shows early on and sort of gotten, gotten used to that, you know, was more confident in myself as a singer, more confident in myself as, a, as an actor and, you know, maybe even had more chance to, to direct some things earlier on. But, you know, a lot of, I'm never, you know, fully, I think sometimes the, the idea of going back, you know, we don't know what 
going back and making those changes would do to put our life on a different trajectory. And so there Absolutely. may be some other difficulties or some other things that if we were to go in that other timeline, we'd say, gee, I wish I could go back and do this differently. And we'd end up on a different, similar timeline. To <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things of, you know, I would say to anyone young who wants to get into it, get into it and, and do it. It's, it's a great experience. There's, you know, there's unfortunately the stigma in the theater world that it's not a manly thing to do, you know? And so we have shows, we have shows like Newsies and the boys are like, Ooh, I don't want to get up there and do all this dancing. That's, that's <laughs> sissy stuff. Or that's, you know, that's not, I'm like, you know what, again, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, you know, just all these people who we think of as, you know, Channing Tatum, you know, all these popular actors who do these action movies or these sort of very manly roles, they all started. And, and a lot of them probably you can find tapes on the internet of them in their high schools or in their community theaters singing and dancing right you know and and that's what they do and you know and we forget that sometimes that you know all these all these famous hollywood actors that we're that we so want to be like and you know that at some point they did shakespeare and wore tights or they they you know did oliver and, and danced around on stage while you know singing songs and you know it, it wasn't or they did oklahoma where they had the dream ballet and they actually danced ballet you know and and things like that and it's not there's no stigma involved it's not reserved for a specific type of person you know i think that's the other thing that surprises people is when they look at me at 6 7 and 300 plus pounds and you know this this big hulking a human you know not hulking in terms of muscular but just a big guy <laughs> and they go wait you're involved in the theater and yet i also like sports i, I still cheer for the jazz and the cougars and the utes and the you know uh, the nfl and and you know i still watch sports and i still and i love computers and i i do all this stuff and so people are like wait and you like theater and i'm like yes because it's it's a nice creative i can't paint or draw to save my life and I, I certainly can't build things. You know, I'm not good with my hands. I'm not mechanical. I can't put together cars or repair cars or build a structure, you know, build, add on to my house. But I can, I can do, you know, Bob Ross had his paintbrushes and he painted all the happy little birds. And I use my paintbrush, which is my sort of ability to see the stage and to move actors around on the stage and to help them build those characters and, and, and bring it to life. And that's my paintbrush and that's my creative medium. So do you have like um, some projects coming up that do you always like to have a project like kind of on the horizon that you're looking forward to? Only because that's theater for so long has been my social life that I sort of, you know, right now I actually don't have projects coming up. I just finished a project when it ended. I thought this is the first time in a long time that I don't have something on the horizon or even like a prospect, like I haven't even turned in applications. And so just this last week, I submitted a couple applications to a couple of places and I've gotten some emails to come like interview with them. But that's the thing about theater. Sometimes it's a fickle world and it's hard. The hardest thing, the you know, you go to auditions and sometimes you're gonna get rejected. And again, it's to use a sports analogy, it's not because you struck out. It might be because you hit a single, but the next guy hit a home run. Mm -hmm. so, you it doesn't mean you're bad it just means maybe you weren't quite as good as the next person or maybe their voice just had the right sound that they were looking for and sometimes people say what can I do differently you know and I'd say keep going keep trying you know my child who ended up being Conrad Birdie you know is not the Conrad Birdie type typically you know they were walking there they're, you know, six, three, six, four, and, you know, built sort of like me. And so people wouldn't look at them and go, yeah, they're the heartthrob that you sort of expect to play Conrad Birdie, but they killed it. They, they did a great job in the role. And because they're an actor, they, they pulled it off. And, you know, then a couple of years later, they were playing Lord Farquaad and Shrek and, and doing the whole show at six foot four on their knees, the entire show, you know, so, <laughs> you know, just learn to have fun with it and learn to, you know, to, to just roll with it and know that theater sometimes is fickle. And because of that, I know that, you know, right now I don't have anything on the horizon and, but I know that something is going to come down the pipe and sometimes someone's going to need a good director and they're going to call me and I'll, I'll have another project and then that'll end. And then, you know, and it's hard because it's, you say goodbye to a cast and you're like, I may never see this bunch again in this configuration. I'll see a few of them here and there. And I might even have a lot of them in another show, but 
it will never be exactly the same. And that's to me, the beauty of live theater, something about that fleeting nature of when you come to watch a show in, in, in the theater and, and you, you know that you participate in something rare that's not captured on film. You know, you, actors are always asking me, can I, can I record this for my grandma? I'm like, you know, she's in Ohio or whatever. I'm like, sure. But there's also just something different about watching a live production on stage and, you know, and just being there in the audience and just enjoying it and being able to clap and sort of have that in your memory and say, okay, I remember this great production I went to of Bonnie and Clyde. It was so fantastic. And it's there and it's sort of like the, you know, a, a food you tasted once upon a time. And you're like, I may get to taste that again, but I will still cherish that memory that I had. And so uh, that's the beauty of theater. Well, and <clears throat> it's interesting to me that, um, like this is your creative outlet, this is your passion, but it's really like a second job. And it's like a project, like project work where you take on a project. And I mean, I'm assuming that you're getting paid to some degree, but maybe I'm wrong. You're not completely wrong. I mean, there is some pay involved, but I always have to tell people, you know, especially in community theater, it's not a paycheck. It's a stipend. Right. It's a thank you. <laughs> It's there a, you know, we understand. I had one guy come to me one time, a music director, and he basically said, I can't continue doing this because I'm like factoring out how much the company is paying me versus my time. And I'm making about two cents a minute, right? And I went, two cents an hour. And I'm like, well, I don't do it for the pay. I do it because I enjoy it. The pay is nice to say, okay, thank you for the gas and, you know, things like that. And one of the first shows I did as an actor was a, a dinner theater where they just had little jars on the table that people would drop their tips in. And then every night they'd count it up and then they'd split that out among the actors. And, you know, sometimes you'd get a couple bucks. And so it was like burger money for the, for the drive <laughs> home. You do it because you love it and because you enjoy seeing the faces of the audience as they come out. And it, it really is though, for a director, at least for me, I sometimes put in more hours doing the theater than I do my regular job because yeah. it's something I enjoy so much, you know, and I'm there, you know, pretty much sometimes from when I, I leave work this last summer, I would leave work and go to the theater at, you know, four, four o'clock or whatever. And I would be there until almost midnight. And so again, I was putting in eight hours a day at the theater. So there's a lot of stuff that sort of, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I got this idea of how to do this. And so yeah. it, it really is, it's, it's got to be a passion for you. And it's, it's not something you can just sort of, you know, go in half-hearted and say, well, I'm going to do this and that's going to be two days and I'm going to be done. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a commitment. Of, it's an all-in project. Now on Broadway, it is a full-time job. And right. so it can be a full-time job, but that tells you, and that's sort of, I think the beauty of community theater too, is people who come watch the show think, oh, this was easy. They just put this on, you know, they just get up on stage and they sing and they dance and they make it look easy and they don't see all the hours of blood, sweat and tears that go into it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Adam, this has been such a great discussion. I just have one more question, which is like, um, what advice do you have in general about finding your life's work? A question that I ask everybody and that maybe as you're thinking about your own kids, like advice you would give to them about finding um, you know, what to spend your life doing. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, try some different things. You know, I, I remember the, my career is not, is somewhat similar to what I went to school for, but it branched, you know, I, it forked and I sort of let it go. And I, I was a, originally, I was a school teacher and then I branched off into my career to become a, a training designer because as a teacher, I was getting frustrated with, okay, some of these lesson plans aren't written very well, or I didn't feel like they were written right. And so I thought I could do this. And so I went and did it. So it's about being willing to be open to your passion. Don't let other people tell you what you should do or what society thinks you should do or whatever. You know, I've got a daughter who loves cars and, and wants to be a mechanic. I'm like, great, go for it. So what, you know, so what that you're a girl, do it. Absolutely. You know, prove to the world and, and find that passion. You know, the, the movie that I quoted before, so we bought a zoo, you know, it's a, this guy does this crazy thing of spending all this money to buy this dilapidated old zoo. And he finds a way to make it work because he's passionate about it. And that's the thing is uh, theater works for me because I'm passionate about it and because I, I want to see it succeed. And it's important to me to have live theater. And I, my job is important to me because I, I enjoy 
you know, sort of for the same, some of the same reasons. I enjoy seeing the light bulb come on when someone takes a class and they go, oh, now I understand this, you know, so that find what makes you tick, find what, you know, and, and it might not be what you sort of think, you know, I started out wanting to be a doctor. I started out thinking I was going to do something else. And then one day I was sitting there and I went, oh, I'm supposed to be a teacher. And I just went, okay. And I said, I, I realize this sort of sucks because doctors make hundreds of thousands of dollars and teachers make, you know, dozens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> you know? right. So it was going to be a severe hit and, and then be willing to pivot as you go, take some risks along the way, you know, changing to changing careers and, and moving in, in the country and, you know, things like that. You don't have to get locked down, but you know, and then just try some things, you know, have that 20 seconds of insane courage to, to go try something new to say, hey, I'm going to go audition for this show. And you never know, you know, you might end up a lead and you might end up going, wow, I, this was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And then you all of a sudden you find something like that little girl who was my Matilda, who just said, I'm going to come do this. She came, she never expected it. She bawled her eyes out when she got the part. And now she's, her, her mom emails me all the time and said, I can't stop her. She wants to just keep auditioning and keep doing things. And she's, and she's going to be on, on Broadway someday. I, I almost guarantee it. That's so great. I've had so many people like that who their first show and they come out and they do it and they're like, no, this was fun. I want to keep doing it now. And then it becomes something that they do and, and they enjoy it. And some of them do it once and then say, that was fun, but it's not something I want to commit to. And others say, this is it. And they get involved and they make it fantastic. Well, Adam, it's obvious that this is like so rewarding for you. The develop, like you're helping develop people in their talent as a director. And that has to be incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, yeah, that's, that's the thing I love the most is when I take people who are sort of raw talent. I've got one guy that I use as an example all the time. He's an older gentleman, probably about 10 years older than me. And he came out once and just, you know, sort of saw the call in the community that, Hey, we need men in the theater. And he's like, well, I'll come out and do it. And he started out in the ensemble, you know, he's got sort of that, kind of a redneck look you know kind of a gruff voice and, and he started out and he just learned to sing and now he's gotten to the point where he's gotten some sort of you know maybe not lead lead roles but supporting roles and things and watching people like that grow and progress and watching them you know from from when they started out to how they've grown and you know I've been able to have been lucky enough to sort of work with some people over the years who have continued to do my shows year after year after year and watching them grow and and and, and progress is just so fun and even in the course of a show as I watch someone who comes into auditions and is sort of shy church mouse you know closed and reserved and then all of a sudden they're on stage at opening night and they're you know belting out the song and dancing and smiling and having a good time and I just think you know sometimes I'd like to think I can take credit for it but most time it's just sort of I had the key that unlocked it the 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 talent and the passion was always there it just took someone to sort of believe in them and to and to help them believe in themselves. Adam, thank you so much for sharing your experience. This has been really fantastic. And I wish you the best in all of your uh, community theater endeavors coming up. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm grateful for the time to talk about. Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time. Mm -hmm.